The world's watched the occupation in downtown Ottawa for three weeks. This past weekend saw the authorities take back the streets for residents who've been living with the headache. One thing the so-called Freedom Convoy did expose was huge cracks in the conservative big blue tent. While some Tory MPs stood back, others willfully egged on the truckers. Cost Aaron O'Toole his job as leader of the party. While he says he's staying on as MP, it does set up a leadership race for a party that doesn't seem to know its identity. Will it ever unite under one leader? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. With O'Toole now in the rearview mirror, conservatives now look to a leadership race. And Carlton MP Pierre Polyev is the presumptive heir apparent, but others have yet to put their name forward. Our unpublished I vote question asks you, can the Conservative Party be united? And almost 62% said yes, just under 30% said no, and 9% were unsure. However you're watching or listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote, and then email your MP to tell them why. The Conservative Party of Canada was formed in December 2003 between the Progressive Conservatives and the Canadian Alliance. It aimed to bring all like-minded Tories together, but the factions still existed, and they exploded during the so-called Freedom Convoy. You have to wonder what it's going to take to keep everyone happy, or do they split into two? Joining us to discuss whether the party can unite, Laurie Turnbull's director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Warren Kinsella is political commentator and former advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. And Sam Routley is a doctoral student at Western University. And Laurie, both O'Toole and previously Shear had some difficulty keeping everyone on the same page. Does that make them weak leaders? Not necessarily. I think that it obviously um, they both kind of suffered this a similar fate in that both seem to have the support of a consensus in the party. Neither was the front runner. So there's something to be said here, I think, for how the conservatives are choosing their leaders, the actual mechanism that they're using, because both Sheer and O'Toole <clears throat> came to this again, not as the front runner candidate, but as the person who was able to coalesce enough support to kind of get over that, that, that line on the last ballot. And so both kind of had some work to do in terms of bringing the party together. And the fact that they, neither of them managed to do it, I don't think is entirely their fault. I think it's because those fault lines in the party are actually quite deep. And when Harper was bringing the party together, there were a lot of people around him, like Tony Clement, who had been part of that Unite the Right movement in Ontario for a long time, and they saw the wisdom of it. And Harper was winning. So there, there was that reward, right? But now mm. it's not the same. And so the party is is still kind of disintegrated. Uh, you know, Warren, uh, Stephen Harper kept them together for more than 10 years, 12 years, as, as I recall, uh, through fear, as you mentioned in your column. And it seemed he kept that populist side in check in order to win. Uh, what happens for the Conservatives if a populist leader is elected? Do the moderates sit back and take it? Yeah, like Harper had the Saddam Hussein approach to leadership. You just didn't miss with him. And then when he left, you know, everything blows apart. And it does feel like that now. And I, and I have to do a mea culpa, Ed. Like, mm -hmm. I was pretty critical of Aaron O'Toole towards the end of his leadership, I now understand what he was dealing with. You know, he was like the boy with the proverbial finger in the dam. Mm -hmm. um, 
I didn't realize what he was holding together. I think like it is dramatic. And I was talking to a former prime minister just a few days ago. And I said, it feels like 9091 to me where, you know, you've got the angry Western populists orbiting away into the reform party or some other formulation. And you've got the progressive conservative central Canadian establishment are just horrified by what's taken place in Ottawa over the past three weeks and you know never shall the twain meet like it it feels like that again and polyev you know if the party goes for a coronation if they have a rapid uh leadership race and decision like i i personally think that he would be a disaster uh not because he's an effective uh, ineffective opposition politician you know in question period and committee and all that it's because he is an effective opposition politician i don't think anybody could picture him being in government he's an against government kind of guy and canadians don't have an antipathy towards government like he does so i you know it, it very much looks like the conservative party is is in some big trouble and once again proves my theory that justin trudeau is the luckiest guy in canadian <laughs> politics <laughs> Sam, Sam, your column mentions the rift comes with uh, populism on the rise in Canada. Is that emboldening the ideal ideologues of the, in the party? And, and what could be the impact in an election? Yeah, I mean, this, this conflict between what, what you can consider a more moderate faction and, and a more ideological faction um, is not really new, per se. Um, it's something that's characterized uh, the Conservative Party and, and Conservative politics. Um, in Canada, on, on the federal level, um, for several decades. Um, but but what I sort of indicated is that I feel um, what what's new about now, um, and what what sort of revealed itself in the in the uh, Ottawa demonstration was that this broader populist movement that that has taken hold of, of a lot of other conservative politics. In, in the U.S. predominantly, but to some extent in, in France and the U.K., uh, seems to be showing its face here. Um, that, that even though resentment against uh, COVID-19 policies is the face of it, it would seem like uh, there's, there's deeper cultural, social, economic factors and a, and a real sense of uh, alienation and, and displacement that's driving it. Um, and fact that it's that deep seems to be that even though uh the the ottawa occupation is is, is seems to be over i think that we're going to see uh this movement characterize canadian politics um especially for the conservative party in the next couple of years uh, you know laurie the populists seem to be more in tune with uh, the people's party of, of canada uh, is max bernier making a with the, the current situation or or just potentially Pierre Polyab as leader, try to bring them back to the con the Conservatives. Yeah, I think that's what the Conservatives are trying to do now. They're leaning right to try to capture that vote that went to the PPC to some extent in the last election. And they're hoping that the base stays with them while they do it. But I'm not sure that Bernie is going to make any hay about this. I think it's really hard in Canada to start a new political party and get any traction with it and be able to overcome the regulations that prefer and reinforce the status quo. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, if there was some of that vote coming back to the Conservatives as they go forward. But it seems like, I mean, I, I agree with what Warren said. I was very surprised to see the shift in the party when Aaron O'Toole was pushed out. 
it seemed clear that this that was that populist part of the party that had really taken over. And in the caucus, there are enough people like 73 votes is a lot to to against a current leader who's actually, you know, who, who didn't do so badly in the last election. And so I'm not sure that this is good news for the PPC. It depends on what the conservatives do with their leadership. I think that it's possible that we're going to see like obviously Pierre Polyev is, is sort of the front runner right now. We might see some more progressive, moderate conservatives, people who identify as red Tory, throw their name in the hat. And if they do, it will be a very different conversation. But then it's going to be the the factions of the party sort of having it out in this leadership convention while everybody watches. Uh, you, you know, Warren, the conservatives seem to lean toward a candidate selections for, or they seem to yeah lean toward can, uh, candidate selections from the riding associations, but they can be overrun with others with a different agenda than the, than the party. How much does that contribute to the friction between what looks like two parties right now in the conservative movement? Well, that's what happened last time. I, well, actually, so with Sheer, they their complaint was they had too many candidates and the race went too long. So they did what political parties always do. They changed the rules so that it would make it harder for people to enter the race and it would be a shorter race. Well, that favored the social conservatives. And, you know, a couple of the candidates that they, they had were anointed by the social conservatives. And it just, you know, with greatest respect to any of my social conservative friends, like, you know, they're poisoning Canadian politics. They're, you know, they're terrific in a conservative leadership race. They're useful there, but you just want to get rid of them. You know, they remind me of the old Richard Nixon maxim, you know, you run as far to the right as you can to get the nomination. As soon as you get it, you start running back. And in the case of both Shear and O'Toole, they couldn't run back uh, fast enough. But on your, your earlier question about Bernier, I think it's an important one. There are many conservatives, and all of us have talked to them, who believe that their route to salvation is appropriating the real estate that they think they lost to Maxime Bernier. Um, but, you know, I think it's a disastrous strategy if they do that, because, you know, if you give voters a choice between the real Max Bernier and the photocopy Max Bernier, they're going to choose the real one 10 times out of 10. So, uh, you know, if that is what their plan is, I think they're going to end up doing even worse under Polyev if he wins than they did under O'Toole. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, the you center a lot. Go ahead, Sam. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say that, you know, we talk about a lot of the voters in Canada reside in, in, in the middle. And part of Harper's success was moving the middle to the right. So, Warren, has the middle moved back? Is that part of the problem the Conservatives see? Uh, I, you know, I think uh, 2019 uh, convinced me, um, started to convince me, and then I really got convinced this fall like it, it's not, and I've said this to conservatives when they've allowed me into their gatherings to speak and I beat them up and I'm mean to them. And I say, you know, guys, like it's a liberal country. You know, we become more diverse. We've become less waspy. We've become more urban. It's just that is the, the demographic reality. And if you guys continue to be, you know, rural populist waspy, um, you know, I understand why you're doing that because you're comfortable with that. And that's your historic tradition. But you're going to keep losing elections. You've got to change in order to win, you know, the majority and the majority are in the middle of the road. They're not in the ditches. You know, Sam, we hear from the popular side of the conservatives a lot more than we hear from the moderates. And, and are they being drowned out? And do they get their voice back? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, within the party currently, it's hard to see the moderates fighting their way back, at least in the next couple of years. I think the fact that given O'Toole's leadership, they in some sense had their turn uh, to, to craft a policy uh, program and to direct the party into that more um, centrist direction. Um, this attempt to appeal to to uh, more urban um, centrist liberal leaning voters. Um, and the fact that uh, leaders tend to get blamed for every problem that the party runs into, uh, regardless of whether or not it's, it's, it's their own fault. Uh, um, they have no real sense of, of the moderates are, are, can't really come from anywhere within the party and the ideologues feel like it's, it's their turn. Um, and that the, the way the party ought to Stewart's ought to lead into the future and the way it appeals to Canadians is by embracing this more ideological purity, right? Not, not being apologetic in their view for being conservative and, and having conservative ideals. Uh, Laurie, can the conservative movement in Canada still be relevant with two different parties, much like uh, we had with the PCs and the Alliance? Um, relevant, yes, but obviously not an alternative to government unless we move to some sort of acceptance of coalition governments and we won't, especially not to accommodate fracture on the right side. I think um, the relevance of it is going to be about whether whether the current leadership race is going to be able to grow the party. And are there going to be candidates, say, for instance, more than one on the moderate side who are going to then line up as they drop off the ballot, line up behind a moderate candidate. Mm. And then the leader is not totally offside with what the heart and soul of the party wants to do. Immediately with Aaron O'Toole, you saw that what he wanted to do didn't fit with what the party wanted to do. He was always offside. Now, his, his tactics to try to build a consensus were clearly ineffective. Some of it is his fault. Some of it is that he basically tried to blindside the party into things like mm. a carbon tax that they weren't prepared to do, and he knew that. Why he thought that was going to be an easy exercise, I have no idea. But he, like, it seems to me that there is there is evidence of some interest in the conservative movement to still have a progressive part, to still have a red Tory part. And I'm in Ottawa now, but I spend a lot of my time in Nova Scotia, where progressive conservatism is alive and well and doing really well politically. Three of the four premiers in Atlanta, Canada, are progressive conservative. These are not ideological people that you wouldn't know. Right. And it's almost to the other extreme. You wouldn't know who which party they were with, but they're winning majority governments on progressive conservative tickets. And so it's not like it's dead. Right. It's just what are the federal conservatives going to do to be able to be successful? Uh, Warren, can you know, some see a leadership race as, as, as renewal for, for the party. But if it still has the same policies, faces and attitudes, is it going to get any further? No, and especially if they're auditioning for the job they've already got, you know, they're so angry. Like you guys, you got to come up with some ideas. You got to have kind of a positive vision for the country. The trucker thing was just relentlessly negative and awful to look at. And there was only one political party there, like cheering them on and bringing them coffee. Like that's just not a formula for for government, and you know, uh, Lori um, in Nova Scotia would know what she was saying is so true. Like, I, you know, Peter McKay won fifty percent of the vote last time, and um, to me, 
he's the type of candidate, maybe he's not the candidate, he's the type of candidate that they need. Because, you know, we're a big country, we're a big, diverse country with lots of competing interests. You need somebody who has an ability to reconcile all those diverse interests. And, you know, those centrists in the traditional Moroni or McKay or what have you are the ones who have a tendency to do better at that and therefore do better in elections. And, and of course, that's the historic uh, success of the Liberal Party of Canada is it straddles the middle and squeezes out the other two parties to the edges. And the same thing, it's happening again. Although I guess in the case of Singh, he's become, he's been subject to a friendly takeover by the Liberal Party of Canada. But I mean, it's just, you know, Trudeau occupies so much real estate now. And the Conservative Party, instead of fighting that and pushing back, is relegating itself more and more to the the right side of the spectrum. I don't get it. um, Because as I say, I think they're going to do worse in the next election under Polyev than they did under O'Toole. You know, you had mentioned that uh, the Conservative Party was the only one that you saw at the at the convoy. And, you know, the convoy organizers were saying that they want to talk to the prime minister. They wanted to talk to the prime minister. You think that was part of the plan? We're just not going to we're just not going to talk, not engage, not be seen with them. Um, No, I think, you know, I, I actually I wrote a couple of columns saying you should meet with them. Right. And I know, you know, we all knew what was going to happen. They were going to yell at him, probably throw things at him. And he just remains there and looks stoic and look like a prime minister. He'd win a majority in the next election because he would look like a normal person. They would look like a bunch of assholes because they were a bunch of assholes. And so, um, you know, the way I think you deal with uh, those people, I've been writing about the far right for a long time, is you you try not to give them legitimacy. You try not to give them you know, uh, airwaves, but they, they own the airwaves for three weeks. So it was, I thought it was a fool's errand for Trudeau to just ignore that. You could see at the early part of the thing it was like this pendulum at the early part of it. He was just pretending like they weren't there. It was crazy. And then he went to the opposite extreme and as you know, emergencies act and all kinds of other stuff. I thought there was a middle course for him politically where he could have looked like a prime minister and, and, you know, played judo with the presence of the truckers, but he didn't do that. Uh, Sam, when you look back at the leadership race between uh, Andrew Shear and, and Max Bernier, uh, and it was a close one, you think that might've been when we started to see the populist side was starting to get strong and, and a little more vocal. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think to some extent, um, I think Bernier in that race was trying to run on on a more libertarian stick, uh, um, but but once he uh, but once he had had lost that race, kind of seized on this populist momentum opportunistically as a way to advance his own um, success. Um, but I think um, when you're when you're talking about why the Conservative Party, especially the more ideological wing, doing what they're doing. I think it's important to recognize that they think that the country's on their side in some sense. Um, they think that there's this um, silent majority in a sense, right? That, that a, a growing number of Canadians in their view, um, even though they're not indicating it publicly, even though they're not expressing uh, in polling per se, are, are, are starting to have this growing resentment against things like uh, government overreach, um, sort of cancel culture, in their view, and, and they're thinking that that if they pursue this more 
um, ideologically pure direction, right? A very firm anti-establishment on confrontational style of politics um, that a lot of Canadians who are who are for now in the shadows are gonna are gonna kind of come out very very quickly and, and is gonna catch the what they consider to be the Laurentian elite uh, off guard. Why do you think that um, these people seem to think that it's so many, a, a majority are behind them? Because as you mentioned, according to polling, according to you, <laughs> letters to the editor, whatever, uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I'm, I mean, they look at, at instances like the, like the Trump uh, takeover of the Republican Party in his uh, subsequent election. If you, if you go back to 2016, um, I, even though in retrospect, it's it's very clear how he how he had a path there. Um, I think a lot of conservatives look back at that period and see how um, the establishment, in their view, whether that's the media or academia or government officials, it really had no no sight of it coming, and they feel like something similar to that is going on in Canada. Um, uh, a lot of it is wishful thinking. Um, quite honestly, um, a lot of it is, is anecdotal in the sense that um, conservatives will naturally hang around other conservatives, and in that from that come to believe that that the rest of the country is like. Uh, Laurie, do you see someone in the conservative party right now that possibly could unite and keep the message for the party? Um, I mean, some of the names that have been thrown around are interesting. Tasha Carradine is an interesting name. Um, I don't, I don't know that there's anybody who really stands out as, wow, this could be a real game changer. I think there are people like James Moore, Rana Ambrose, who could have been those people and decided right off the bat that they didn't want to participate. So I'm not sure there's a unicorn in the offing here, but there could be. Um, but it would, it's still going to be like whoever is in the position, I think is it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really hard work and it's going to be more than one person. I think it's possible that like, in the same way that we saw social conservative candidates drop off the ballot and line up behind Aaron O'Toole, an interesting dynamic would be for progressive cons- progressive candidates to drop off the ballot and line up behind a progressive candidate who then would win with a sense that there has been a coming together of the party during the process, during the process of, do- of doing, of picking a leader. Because if you get this sense where every time there's a new leader, the party is completely torn apart and the job of the leader is not to harness the energy toward toward a vision for the country. The job instead is to constantly try to reconcile irreconcilable differences. That that's never going to win for anyone. And that's impossible. You can't and the leader loses energy trying to do that. And it's not able, the person's not able to command this the kind of authority and legitimacy on the national stage as at stage as they should. So it seems to I think a short leadership race would be a bad idea at this point. I think they they need some time, although I get the prime minister is throwing around the word confidence today. And so if the vote, I think he'll win this vote, but if he, if he didn't, an election would be in the offing. And so I understand the need for some urgency about it. How about you, Warren? Do you see somebody who, who is in the conservative party right now that might be able to bring all sides together? Nope. (laughs) No, no, I don't. And neither do voters. And that's their problem. You know, they've got a purity test going on now. Um, you know, where they want to tiller the hunt. 
And, you know, whenever I write something about a Peter McKay or Jean Charest, you know, people who are experienced, successful politicians, you know, it's, oh, I, you know, you work for Jean Chrétien, what do you know? And, and, uh, and, you know, we need a real conservative. And it's like, well, guys, you've had a real conservative for the past couple of races, you know, for the most part. And what has it gotten you? You've lost to who, you know, somebody who I consider to be the weakest prime minister we've had in generations. You know, I think he's been a terrible prime minister and you lost against him. You know, the cliched, uh, you know, Shearer and O'Toole can't score on an empty net. It's true. They couldn't score on an empty net. And so it looks like they're going to do it again. And then uh, I could easily see some of the progressive conservatives saying to hell with this. Uh, you guys go on and, you know, do your rageaholic routine and we're going to go and try and do something else. And, uh, you know, that's a surefire formula to give the Liberal Party power for the next generation. Sam, what do you think? Is there a moderate uh, in, in the Conservative Party right now that you think could bring everybody together and keep keep the message together? Uh, no, not right now. Um, I think you're going to see uh, the moderates are going to start to make their exits, uh, whether that's back into the private sector or, or provincially as well. Um, I think like what Lori mentioned earlier, um, there's still a place for progressive conservatives, more red Tories within a provincial level, um, if, if not in Nova, including Nova Scotia, but also Ontario to some extent. Um, that, that, and you might see something where um, Polyev wins the leadership and he has his chance and he brings in his people and he brings in his team. Uh, and, and if that is, is not successful, you'll then see a, a sort of regrouping and challenge um, in the next couple of elections. So they'll be on the outside looking in for quite a while then. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I mean, unless Polyev manages to, Polyev or the next leader manages to win the election, I think there's, you could still, there's still some pendulum to the Canadian elections in the sense that there might be within the next couple of years, such a strong anti-liberal sentiment, a, a strong desire for change um, that the voters are willing to bring in anyone else. And if, and if that happens, uh, which would be totally out of the Conservatives' control, um, you might see some moderates kind of come back in opportunistically um, now that there's a, a shot at power. You know, Laurie, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, we talk about the Conservatives, the progressives, and then the more the, the populists. It'd be nice to talk more about uh, policy than anything else to, you know, and, and you had mentioned before when we were talking about Brian Mulroney and how he was able to keep, keep it together, there were big issues on the table at that point. Is you, you think that's still, that's, there's no big issue that everybody can sort of, the whole party can rally around. Um, I mean, it's not the same as when the big issue was free trade and the mm -hmm. big issue was national unity. It's hard to get you know, it's hard to top those things and it's hard to get into the realm of those things. Most everyday politics are not those things. But to be honest, I, I think like in the aftermath of COVID, when we are opening up again and life is going to be very different there, we are on on a verge potentially of a serious class conflict in Canada, which we haven't had to the same extent as the U.S. has it has had in our politics. We've tend to, tended to be divided by different things. But if we do see a growing wealth gap. We see the difference between people who were able to actually do better during COVID-19 financially and other people who were just sh shaken by it and are having a harder time recovering. I think part of what we're seeing on the conservative side now is that there is an ideological shift 
where the same ideological uh, forces, direction, spectrum doesn't answer all the questions about where you are politically, where you are ideologically. I think it's different now. It's not just about the right and, and appealing, you know, center right, far right, all that. I think there are some ways in which the NDP and the conservatives are both now competing for the support of the working class who feel that the the measures that were taken by the government to manage the economic crisis during COVID-19 have not helped them. And so I think there are lots of issues, to be honest, for the conservatives mm-hmm. to grab onto. But Warren, if that's the case, they're just shooting themselves in the foot, fighting amongst each other, right? Yeah, well, fighting amongst yourself, you know, in a political party is always fatal, just benefits your your opponent. But I strongly agree with Laurie. You know, at first, I kind of believed the truckers that it was about COVID. Maybe it was about getting rid of Trudeau. But I do believe, and it was, of all things, it was a, a piece, an opinion piece in the New York Times yesterday um, it's really about class war. And the, the, the piece basically talked about how the class war has come to Canada. And, you know, there are people like us, frankly, who can conduct a life and earn a living on Zoom, right? And, mm. and um, not have to worry about the stuff that the trucker does who has to get out and go do things or the person who serves us coffee at a Tim Hortons or in, in Brampton or what have you. There's these different lives, these different universes. And the the ones in the kind of the doing universe are angry at us and they're lashing out. And I, I agree with what, what both my co-panelists have said. I think that this is not going to go away. It's possibly going to get worse. And it, and it just, to my surprise, it's not about COVID. It's not about Trudeau. It's about a a class resentment. It's kind of like what we saw with Occupy and the Tea Party about a decade ago. It looks like it's back. Well, folks, uh, a great discussion on, on the future of the Conservative Party. I want to thank our guest today on Unpublished TV, Laurie Turnbull, Director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Warren Kinsella is a political commentator and former advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. And Sam Routley is a doctoral student at Western University. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.